0: Well, two scripture readings again this morning, Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11, and 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 12, and so we'll read them together and ask for the Lord's empowerment as we study them this morning. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. First Timothy 3, 1-12. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, So he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Let's pray together this morning. Our great God, we call upon your spirit who has inspired this word that you would illuminate it before us and teach us your ways that we may be fruitful disciples. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, as we continue to turn to this section of the word, this is our last Sunday, looking at a particular issue which has come out of our Philippians study and has come out of verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul has been reminding the Philippians they have become one in Christ Jesus and been grafted into a body and a local congregation, but ultimately that that local congregation has a design and a structure that God has given to it and to operate in a specific way. And so in verse 1, we see Paul not only greet the church but also the leadership offices of the overseers, elders, pastors, the same titles, and then that of deacons. And so the New Testament has much to say about this, and the reason why we are considering this and evaluating it from the scriptures is because it's an important discussion, that we are called to be part of a local church. You have no option in that. If you are a believer in Christ, you are called to be part of local church, period. You are grafted into the body. But then when you are in the body, you have to understand how it is designed to work. And so one of the important issues there is the reality of leadership. The offices of elders. Those that are the chief teacher of God's word. The ones that feed the local congregation by teaching the word of God. Overseeing the teaching that takes place in the congregation. Those that also are the spiritual governors that lead under the head leadership of the great shepherd Jesus Christ. This teaching and governing act is a responsibility given to the elders, overseers, and pastors. And then we've looked at the reality of the deacons, that they're an office of servants that help carry up other aspects of leadership in the church, allowing elders and pastors and overseers to stay focused on the task of eldership. And so these two offices we've seen in our studies are distinct. They're not to be blended in any way, which sometimes happens. And that's happened even in our own case, but there are to be distinct offices working together for the sake of the care of the local church. And so we've discussed the need for that implementation, but then last week we began to look at, okay, if that's the case, then who should they be? Not only distinct roles and responsibilities, but then who qualifies for those offices of leadership? And so we began to look last week from this passage in 1 Timothy 3 about the common qualifications. The both must be willing to serve, approved by God, and living lives conformed to the gospel, transformed by the power and grace of Christ. And about that, specific examples of that. Because there are different roles, there are different distinctives. The length which they serve or must be saved before they serve, it's Elders are not to be recent converts. Deacons must first be tested. We've talked about that and looked at the elders' responsibility to be able to teach, which is distinct from the deacons. So we've, we've considered all of these things. But this morning, in our last study of this subject, we come to probably the most sensitive, talked about, confused aspect of the offices of the leadership. And that is the gender question. When you look at the qualifications that the Apostle Paul gives regarding the office of elders and then the office of deacons, you see a lot of he and man. Pronoun he, man, making some think, well, does that mean that God only intends men to serve in these offices of leadership? Now, as I said, this is a sensitive topic. It's one which culturally is no doubt being brought forth. And let me tell you this morning, it's one which churches have often handled horribly wrong. So we're going to pray for God's grace and, and strength to be able to deal with this biblically. And that's the main thing here biblically. What does the Bible say about this? Because that is what we yield to. Culture saying one thing, constitutions say another thing, everything is saying a bunch of confusion, and smorgasbord. What does the Bible say? And so we pray for grace to understand. And so we're going to answer this question about gender and whether or not it's specifically for men or not who are qualified by first addressing the office of the deacons. So 1 Timothy 3, verses 7 to 12. Once again, we see the qualities of of he being presented over and over again. But I encourage you now to look at verse 11 there is also a reference to the women who are within that section of the description of the deacons. And so we see not just a reference to men here, but also to women. Now, if we're going to be students of the word of God, we also have to acknowledge that there's a textual issue there that some people have brought forth. The Greek word for woman here is also the same word as wives. And so some translations have taken it and said, instead of women, wives. Meaning what's being said there is a reference to the wives of the deacons. So in that, in that case, they say, yes, deacon is to be held by a man who is spiritually qualified for that office. In light of the fact that that particular verse 11 refers to their wives. I'm going to give you a scriptural argument this morning of why that should not be interpreted as wives, but rather as women, therefore justifying women who are spiritually qualified to be deacons in the church. First of all, an argument from absence. Nothing in the scriptures forbids the reality of spiritually qualified women from being deacons in the church. There's nothing in Scripture, there's no prohibition that says anything against it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is look at the context of 1 Timothy 3 itself. If you translate that particular word as wives instead of women, then you have to ask the logical question of why would the Apostle Paul be so concerned about instructing deacons about what their wives should be like and have nothing to say about elders' wives in the previous section. Logically, structurally, doesn't line up. So argument from absence, argument from within the text itself. Why would Paul say something about deacons' wives and completely not care about elders' wives? doesn't make sense. Third, and most convincing argument, Phoebe, in Romans 16, verse 1, is greeted as a deacon in the church. So all those three things, absence of prohibition, the text itself, 1 Timothy 3, and the logic of Paul's argument, and then the support of Phoebe herself being a deacon who worked alongside the Apostle Paul many pastors, respectable pastors, Tim Keller, John Piper, Southern Baptist Seminary, affirm that we should permit women into the office of deacons. And I'm wholeheartedly supportive of that based on the scriptural argument. So that's the first important thing, that the scriptural argument is that both men and women can serve in that office. But here's the thing, provided... They are qualified. Provided they are qualified. So, with that question answered about deacons, now moving on to probably even the more sensitive and and discussed issue is the office of pastor, elder, or overseer. Is this the same when it comes to this particular office? And in short, when you look at 1 Peter 5, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians 14. And I've given those particular passages on your sermon sheet so you can go home and read them yourself and study it yourself. The biblical answer to that question is no. In every case in the scriptures that deals with the office of elder, pastor, overseer, only men who meet the spiritual qualifications and are able to teach, are permitted to take that office. Now you say, well, why? Why is that the case? Why is it not like deacons? Well, that we're going to go through the scriptures to look at this, but the most dominant and direct examples of scripture that do have a prohibition, unlike deacons, against women being in eldership is 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35, 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35, as in all the churches of the saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, let me tell you right now, those two verses have been horribly taken out of context in the church. This is not saying that women cannot speak or talk in church or or sing songs of worship or evangelize or share testimony. Absolutely not. And any church that says that women can't be involved in those things isn't walking in line with God's own design. So then what do those particular verses refer to? Well, it's important to know that in the context The speaking in church that Paul is talking about is the same as the teaching that he's talking about in 1 Timothy. And that speaking and teaching in the context of 1 Timothy when it comes to church leadership is the very thing of explaining and teaching the counsel of God. The same kind of teaching that the elders are responsible for carrying out in the church. Paul's saying that I do not permit a woman to have that particular teaching, instructing of the word of God over a man. Secondly, nor do I permit them, and this is God's will as revealed in the scriptures, to have a spiritual government role over a man. And so because of that, why would they not qualify for the office of elders? Well, we've been paying attention. Eldership is teaching and instructing the Word of God and spiritually governing the entire church, which includes men. And so, therefore, Paul is saying, Timothy, when you go and you're appointing elders, remember this biblical truth and principle that God has entrusted men with specific aspects of spiritual leadership. Including the teaching of God's word and spiritual government. Now, the next question that no doubt a lot of people are asking. Okay, I hear this prohibition against teaching. And women not being able to teach and instruct over men in this way. And not being able to spiritually govern over men in this way. But that's clearly cultural, right? Obviously, the Bible was a patriarchal world and of course it makes sense at that particular time. But look how society has progressed. Look how women have been adopted into society and all these positive changes that we have seen. And they are positive changes and they should take place. But the question is is these prohibitions that we see in the scripture about women teaching and instructing the scriptures over men and spiritually governing, are they defined by culture? And so we look at the scriptures and we see that's not the case. In 1 Timothy 2, and I encourage you once again to study this when you get home or on your own time this week, Paul does not appeal to culture as the basis for why this particular thing cannot happen. But he appeals to creation. It goes on and appeals to creation. It's the reality of a created design that men have been given this particular task of leadership. And so we need to look at the scriptures to see how this created design plays out and works. And to to this, we have to understand that God's design of leadership in the local church is an expression and extension of of how he has designed the local believing family, the local nuclear family to operate. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 26. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives that should submit in everything to their husbands. the reality of men having spiritual leadership roles given to them, the teaching of God's word, spiritual governance, is seen even in the local believing family, and the reality of that is marriage. Marriage, a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. The husband being a picture of Christ and the wife being a picture of the church. The husband being the spiritual leader of the two. So when Paul talks here in 1 Corinthians about the the husband being the head of the wife. He's not talking about an abusive dictator. But a spiritual leader who loves and serves his wife as Christ served the church. Sacrificially caring for her, teaching her, governing in order that she may become who Christ called her to be. And the wife understanding that God has given that great protector and... And a leader submits out of love and reverence to the husband, knowing that it's ultimately submission to the Lord. Not because the husband is her Lord, but because it is God's design. I guess the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, do you believe those roles exist? Family structure nowadays is completely tossed aside. Look at how children often are even running the homes. And the next question is, well, is it cultural? Well, if marriage is to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, is the relationship between Christ and his church cultural? No, it's permanent until Christ returns. So there is a design, even in the family, where Husbands have those spiritual leadership roles. And you go to Ephesians 6, doesn't apply just to the marriage, but even goes over to parenting. Call for children to obey their parents, but then Paul appeals to the fathers. Why? Do, do the wives and the mothers have no role in parenting? Absolutely, they do. But, when it comes to the design, the spiritual leader, the chief teacher and governor of not only the marriage, but the family is given to the husband and to the father. I think it would be very helpful to consider the scriptures and to see how this plays out, even in the story of Adam and Eve. This family responsibility is this role that's given even to the husband to be the spiritual leader. First of all, I encourage you to read Genesis 3 and to go home and study it, because notice that when Adam and Eve sinned, both equally guilty of sin. It was not until Adam ate of the fruit that they realized they were naked. The effect of sin took place. And then, when both of them heard God walking in the garden, God goes to deal with the issue of their sin, but who does he call out to? Calls out to the man. Why? Because he loved Adam more? No, because the husband has been given the responsibility to be the spiritual leader, the spiritual governor. And so notice the sin in which they suffered from and that all of humanity suffers from since. Romans 5, verse 12, all have died through Adam. Not Adam and Eve. Adam. Eve is guilty of sin. Continue to read First Timothy 2. She is held accountable for it. But Adam was the spiritual leader who failed to teach and lead and govern. And he is held accountable. Because of the design that is given even within the family. Furthermore, in Genesis, we see that these roles and responsibilities of teaching and governing and given to men, even in the family, that the fall would horribly affect them. Continue to read in Genesis three, and, and God says to the wife that your husband will rule over you. Which, if you read the scriptures, the word "rule" there is the same word as "overlord." And because of sin. This beautiful design of spiritual leadership will be hindered. And so, in many cases, now it'll go from not loving and caring, but in many cases, you will see the abuse of that and it will become more dictator like. And we've seen that in society. And it goes back to the very curse and pronouncement that God pronounces in the garden concerning and sin and how it affects these roles. Isaiah 3. Part of the issue and waywardness of Israel's sin and condition God instructs through Isaiah is that the women and children are leading the men. There's no design to the family. There's no honoring of God's design. Even Deborah, a judge who governed over disputes. Yes, we see that in the scriptures, but you cannot ignore the judges, the phrase that occurs over and over again. They did what was right in their own eyes. And of course, you can consider the scriptures and read it yourselves. But the evidence, not only in the New, but the Old Testament, is that men have been given those particular spiritual leadership roles, including teaching and governing, But that sin horribly abuses and distorts. Step. then insert the gospel. Ephesians 5, this passage we just read from, which affirms this leadership role given to men. Christ steps in and he doesn't dismiss it, but he redeems it. Sin has messed a lot of things up, but Christ comes in and brings it back to the way that it was supposed to be. So now a household that is loving one another as God designed to love is not only husbands leading and caring for their wives and and for their children, but children obeying their parents and the design of God's plan for the family coming back together to be a gospel display. So Christ doesn't dismiss those roles, but affirms them and brings them back into the way they were created to be. So we need to recognize that in the scriptures. Now, I ask a question that all of you ask. Well, this is God's revealed will for families and for men to be the spiritual leaders and governors in their family when it comes to teaching and governing and discipline what about the context where there isn't a father in the picture we live in a broken world fathers leave fathers don't take the role seriously fathers die is it wrong for a a mother to step in and be the spiritual leader in that particular case well the answer to that question is no Paul is writing these instructions to a man named Timothy. If you understand the scriptural story of Timothy, his father was not around. He was raised and influenced by the faith by Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. And Paul commends both ladies for them. So if it's in the context where Father's not in the picture. Yes, it's not God's revealed will, plan, but even in the brokenness of that situation, God still works, and we see it even with Timothy's case. But here's the thing. When it comes to how the spiritual leadership roles in the local family carry over to the local church, Paul is well aware of Timothy's situation, unique situation, but it's not the exceptions that take place in the nuclear family that carry over to the local, the church. Now he says, I do not permit a woman to have that particular responsibility of teaching the word of God over men in the church, nor spiritual government. Why? Because it doesn't go God's design even in a nuclear family. He doesn't design it one way in one thing and then change it when it comes to the larger expression of his family. The same thing about the wife being submissive and, 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 and respecting and understanding that leadership. And if the husband's leading the way he should be, submissive should be a problem. That submissiveness carries over into the church. It's the same word. Now, I realize this particular topic is sensitive, and I was talking with a pastor this week who said, you know, in some cases, a a discussion like this could end up with you being accused of hate crime. There's some important things that have to be said here when it comes to this particular design why women are not permitted into this particular aspect of leadership, unlike deacons. It is important to note that because of the fact that God has not given women this particular spiritual leadership role in the family or in the church, this does not mean that in God's eyes you are not equal with men. Genesis 1. Made mankind in his image. Equally made in his image equally loved. The significance of Christ appearing to a woman first after the resurrection and his ministry with women, you are equally loved. It's not a matter of inequality. Furthermore, submission does not mean inequality. If we're made in the image of God, man and woman, look at the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, oneness, equal, I and the Father are one, yet even the Son has a role of submission. Are you going to say that Jesus and the Father aren't one there because of submission? No. And so we cannot take that and bring that into the context of making women feel inferior because of, of these particular things. Absolutely not. God is passionately in love with you just as much as he is men. In fact, submission is a glorified act. And once again, go home and read Philippians two, the hymn of the early church. Christ receives the name that is above every name. Why? Because of his submission. It is a glorious thing. The culture is saying, "Oh, oh, you're not important," you know, whatever it may be. No, that is a lie. It's a lie. It's a beautiful act of, of God's design. So it doesn't mean inequality. doesn't mean that you're less than men. In fact, the Bible even talks about how women have responsibilities that men don't have. God forms a womb, a child within your womb, fearfully and wonderfully made in many cases. Certain roles and responsibilities And sometimes the pastorate itself is idol, it becomes idolatry. Next thing, can I close with this before we finish? Just because the Bible teaches that men are to have the spiritual leadership roles in the family and in the church does not mean that women are not permitted to teach. And by that, I mean not permitted to teach the scriptures, to explain. Titus 2, 3, women are called to teach. However, they are called to teach in the design within the context that it's given. It's not about women not teaching in the church. It's about them not being in eldership. Women are permitted to teach women. Women are permitted to teach children. You know how important those ministries are? You know how important women's ministry is in the church? How important children's ministry is in the church? And any church that understands that should be investing and praying and, and praying would you raise up women who can teach in women's ministry, who can teach in children's ministry because it's not less, it's not less It's so important. The Bible speaks of that. However, when it comes to the role of eldership, based on God's design of giving men spiritual leadership roles, including the teaching of God's word and governing within the family, it carries over to the local church. Now, here's the thing, church. I can't make you believe that. A lot of people in the culture are saying, nope, outdated, gone. Churches that are saying, nope, we don't believe this, whatever it may be. You need to read the scriptures, study it for yourselves and see this. And then when you see the evidence, which we've even seen in this particular text regarding this, you have to decide, is this book the authoritative guide of my life or not? I may not be comfortable with it. It might not make complete sense to me. But is this the authoritative guide of my life or not? And if it is, then we have no other choice as a church but to yield to the living word of God. And so I pray for the Spirit to, to convict us, to renew our minds that we're not conformed to the patterns of the world but transformed that we may be led deeper into implementing this to honoring God's design. It's a beautiful thing. Culture says, no, it's outdated, it's wrong. It's God's beautiful design. So we pray for that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you I revealed your will to us, and this is a particular subject which is tough, especially in light of culture, in light of our own mind and the ways that we think. But we're asking you to give us wisdom, your word. Teach and reveal and show us the truth that we may be convicted and that we may we respond in obedience. May your design for your church be upheld, and may you bring glory to Christ for all that he has done pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, My hope is built on nothing less, and of course we build our house upon the rock and upon his words, so let's sing of that great confession together.